Hey, I want to welcome you to worship today at Calvary. We are so glad that you have joined us, and we're just honored that you would spend this time with us today. At this time in our worship service, we have the opportunity to show our faith and trust in God by giving our tithes and offerings. You know, last week we had an amazing celebration here at Calvary as we celebrated 75 years of ministry in and through this church. And, you know, the only reason that we've been able to have a vital ministry for that many years is because so many people have generously invested into the mission and ministry of this church. And so we have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of those people that went before us and continue to invest into what God is doing here. And so if you have a gift that you'd like to give Jesus and his mission today, it's super easy. You can just go to calvary.org slash give and you can find out all that you need to know about investing into the mission here. So we're grateful for your partnership and we're thankful for your faithful and generous giving. You know, life is full of disappointments. You know, all sorts of different things. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're disappointments that last for a long time. Sometimes they're just short little things that are kind of annoyances along the way. You know, maybe it's going to a restaurant and you're looking forward to a meal out and you order something that sounds great and you get the food and it is just awful. You know, maybe you leave home in the morning and you're running late for work and then you find out you've got a flat tire. Have you ever had one of those days before? Or here's something really disappointing that I've faced numerous times. is when you get on a long flight and you find out you're sitting in the middle seat. It gets pretty bad when that happens. Life is full of disappointments. Today we're going to look at Psalm 77 as we continue our series throughout the Psalms in June and July. And Psalm 77 is what's called a lament psalm. And we've looked at a few of these in the past uh, few weeks, but this is one of the most common types of psalms. And the psalmist is named here. His name is Asaph. And Asaph is facing disappointments. He's facing discouragement. He's trying to find a cause for hope in his life. And as he reaches out to God, he's just feeling silence, which leads to feeling hopeless and abandoned and alone. He's unable to sleep. He doesn't know where to turn next. He can't speak. He's disillusioned. So much disappointment. Now, have you ever been there before? Have you ever found a time in your life when you have been overwhelmed with disappointment. And I was thinking back to when I was a kid, and one of the most disappointing things that happened to me was around the age of 11, I was playing on a baseball team, and I remember we had a game against one of the best teams in the league. Well, it was towards the end of the game, and it was all tied up. We had runners on second and third base. There were two outs, and of course, I'm up to bat. And I went down swinging, three in a row, three strikes, and I was out. It was so disappointing. I remember having, just hanging my head and walking towards my parents, and they said, let's go get some ice cream at Dairy Queen. And suddenly, everything was better, right? Because when you're 11 years old, ice cream makes everything better. Now, obviously, in retrospect, 
that was a pretty small disappointment compared to the other disappointments that we face throughout our lives. Oftentimes we have disappointments that even a blizzard can't make any better. You know, maybe it's getting let go from your job. Maybe it's when your child ends up in addiction and you don't know how to help them. Maybe it's when you're diagnosed with a disease that you're not supposed to have, you've never even thought about. Maybe it's when the goals that you had for life just seem to be passing you by. And it leads to feelings of overwhelming, hopelessness, and disappointment. And it's in those times, I think, that it's only natural that we call out to God. We demand some answers. We want to know why are these things happening. And so in Psalm 77, this is what it's all about. We're going to get a story. There's going to be questions that are asked. And then there's going to be an answer given. So it begins with the psalmist Asaph crying out to God. He's full of despair and worry and disappointment. And so let's look at verse 1 in Psalm 77. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. You know, he's struggling to see where God is in the disappointment. His faith is being challenged. He simply wants answers. And so in the daytime, he's, he's been trying to make contact with God, but then it's in the nighttime when he's feeling haunted, like he's drowning. He's, he talks about reaching out a hand and not finding anything to grasp onto. There's no one there to save him. He can't find any peace of mind. He can't find any comfort. And there seems to be no end in sight to his struggles. Now, I think this is a pretty relatable scene because have you ever laid awake at night? You know, just your mind is racing. You're playing out all of the worst scenarios. You're wondering what is the next day going to bring? Well, Asaph continues this questioning and this dialogue with God. In verse 4, he tells God that things are so bad that neither speech nor sleep are even possible. He says, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. Again, maybe you felt this way before. Maybe even last night you found yourself awake without any words, not able to sleep. Well, it's in this time of trial and this questioning that then Asaph starts to think back. He thinks back to the times when things were good, when there was positives in his life. He says, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. You see, he's contrasting the good old days when things were free and easy, and now he's thinking about the present pain and struggle that he's going through. Well, as these present circumstances build and they they feel worse and worse and more hopeless, well, then Asaph fires off some really big questions at God in verses seven to nine. Look at starting with verse seven. He says, will the Lord reject forever? 
Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? There's a big problem going on here. You see, Asaph feels like God has abandoned him and that God has abandoned his people. And you see, these questions are very purposeful questions because they actually connect back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. As the children of Israel were being prepared to enter into the promised land, God came in the form of a cloud and he spoke to Moses and his people and he described who he is. He described his character. You see, what he says is, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You see, he's really giving these character traits that he has. And he goes on and he says, he's maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. And these verses became a core confession of faith for the people of Israel. They would use it as a centerpiece for their worship and their devotions because it's a reminder of who God really is. And now here in Psalm 77, the psalmist is asking these questions which are calling each one of these character traits into question. They're questioning God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his mercy, and his compassion. You know, you might even wonder, well, why are those questions even included in our Bible? I mean, why would you include someone questioning God's own character? It might be something that you'd figure an editor along the way would just kind of conveniently delete and get rid of. I mean, why dwell on the negatives? Why inspire someone even to go down that path? But you know, I think, again, this is a proof of the truth of Scripture because it's such an honest portrayal of the human condition The Bible doesn't whitewash things. It doesn't try to shine things up to make them look better. Instead, it gives us this very real and relatable situation. Because the truth is, we serve a real, down-to-earth, personal, and strong God. And we also are able to be completely real with him. God is not remote. He's not disconnected. He's not untouchable. He's not elevated. He's not egotistical. He doesn't desire a tame, sanitized prayer from us. He wants our honest emotions. And so the Psalms again and again show us that we can be unfiltered with God. We can bring all of who we are to him. He's never upset when we're real with him. It's actually what he most desires from us. And he's willing to do anything, to be in that dynamic relationship with us where we can continue to question and we can doubt 
and we can live life knowing that he's with us. Remember, even Jesus, his own son, once asked God, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understands our disappointments and our pain and our struggles in our life on earth. There was a man named Dr. Gardner Taylor, who was a pastor in New York City. He told a story once about a time he was preaching down in Louisiana during the Depression. Electricity had just been coming to that part of the country. And he was out in a small rural black church. And it had just one light bulb hanging from the ceiling to light up the whole worship space. So he's preaching away and in the middle of his sermon, the electricity cuts out. And the whole room is pitch black. Well, he stumbled around for a while trying to figure out what to do as a young preacher. But suddenly, one of the elderly deacons sitting in the back of the church cried out, Preach on, preacher. We can still see Jesus in the dark. You know, isn't it true that sometimes it's in the dark that we best see Jesus? But also the good news of the gospel is that whether we can see him in the dark or not, he most certainly can see us in the dark. So it's because of that good news that Jesus is present with us even in the darkness. It's because of the faith and the trust in that presence that in verse 11 of Psalm 77, everything changes. The mood changes, the tone changes. I think you can almost feel the psalmist's heartbeat calm down because he's talked about sleepless nights. He's been talking about being haunted by questions. He's puzzled, he's doubted. He's tried to figure it all out and now he's stopped stressing out. He's stopped despairing and instead he turns his attention to the mighty acts of our God. He decides to take a close look at God's permanent record, and it makes all the difference. So look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Now what you need to know is that remembering is an important part of Israel's heritage. In fact, it is so important that remembering is commanded by God. It all goes back to when the Israelites were made slaves in Egypt. It was after Joseph and his brothers passed away. And the Bible tells us that a pharaoh comes to power who no longer remembers Joseph and no longer remembers who God is. And he becomes nervous about this big group of Israelites living in Egypt. He questions their loyalty. He wonders if they could become so powerful that they could overthrow him someday. So he makes them all slaves, which is an absolutely miserable way to live. And so the Israelites cry out to God again and again to be delivered and freed from slavery. And so God hears their cries and he raises up a leader named Moses. 
And he tells Moses that he is to lead his people out of Egypt. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh, you might remember this, and he asks Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh doesn't give in. And so God gets involved and he starts to send these plagues into Egypt, locusts and boils and blood in the water. But every time Moses goes back, Pharaoh sticks to his guns. And so finally, God sends the 10th and final plague. And he tells Moses to prep the Israelites. He says, this is what's gonna happen. You need to go sacrifice a lamb. And you need to take some, lamb, some of the blood from the lamb and go put it on your doorposts. And that very evening, the angel of death is gonna come through the town. And all of the houses that have blood on the doorposts, it's gonna pass over. But any house without blood on its doorposts it will kill the firstborn son. You know, it's later become known as the Passover. And it's when Pharaoh finally releases his grip and lets God's people go. But God doesn't stop there. He says in Exodus 12, 14, he says, this is a day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. Now look at what it says. This is a law for all time. This is so important. I'm going to command you, God says, to remember. Teach it to your kids. Never forget what God has done for you. Remember his deliverance and his forgiveness and his faithfulness. Because this is what's going to bring you assurance and comfort in your times of trial. This is where you're gonna find hope when you remember the story of what God has done. It's gonna help remind you why you should not stray away from your relationship with God. And what it also does is it shifts the focus from ourselves back onto God who has the power to make a difference in our circumstances. But you know, the story continues on. God leads his people out of slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness and there's miracles that happen left and right. But eventually, they come up to this large body of water and they can't get around it. Again, you probably remember the scene. They're at the Red Sea. And it's in this discouraging moment that God does another miracle. He does something to build their faith, something for them to remember their entire lives. He parts the entire sea so that they can walk across dry land. But again, the story doesn't stop there. If we fast forward a little bit, 40 years later, after they have wandered in the wilderness some more, they're up against another body of water. But this time it's a river, it's the river of Jordan, which is overflowing its banks. The story is told in Joshua chapters three and four. It's the river that's standing in their way as they're about to cross into the promised land finally. And in Joshua 3, 15 and 16, we're told what happens. You see this river is flooded and they come up to the edge The priests come up and and they're wondering what to do, but as a sign of faith, 
their feet touch the water's edge. And it's that act of faith that changes everything. It says the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam. It's 19 miles upstream from where they're at. God performs another miracle so they can walk across dry lands. But in the moment, as they watched this water rush by, they had no idea that God was at work upstream. All they could see was the water right in front of them. You see, what we need to know and what we need to remember is that even amidst our disappointments and our challenges and our trials, God is at work upstream. His track record proves it again and again throughout all of history. Now maybe you can think of a time in your life when you realize later as you look back at a difficult time, at a season where you struggled, that God was certainly at work. He was doing something upstream that made a difference in your circumstances. See, I think God's heart for each one of us is to lead us from disappointment towards hope. The Bible reminds us to remain anchored to God's hope in all that we do, in every situation, both when we feel close to him and when we feel distant from him. Because the truth is, again, he is at work upstream. It's exactly what Jesus tells his disciples as they struggled with what they were called to do. Jesus said he was gonna leave them and go into heaven, and yet they're supposed to carry out his mission. And so in John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is saying to them and to us, trust me, I've got this. I am already at work I'm greater than any situation or circumstance. You can hang your hope on me. And so it's because of God's faithfulness, because of his track record, that the psalmist says he will remember all of God's mighty deeds. He'll remember God's works among the nations and the peoples. And he'll also remember that God is still at work today. Now you might remember an old movie, it was also a book called The Notebook. It's a love story between a couple named Noah and Allie. Now most of the movie is centered around their young life together, how they met and kind of how that all materialized. But every once in a while it fast forwards to the end of their life together, showing them in their old age. And at this point, we find out Allie has developed Alzheimer's disease, and she's in a nursing home. Now, Noah goes every day to visit her, and he insists on staying with her. And we also find out some years before this, Allie had spent time writing down their love story in a notebook. 
And so every day Noah comes to visit her. They have lunch together and then Noah takes out the notebook and he reads Allie the story of their love. And as he reads the story, her eyes will open every now and again and she comes back to him for a few moments. And you know what? In much the same way, that's what the Bible is for us. The Bible is God's covenant love story for his people through all the ages. And so when we're in the depths and it seems like the Lord has rejected us forever and his mercy is gone, when we're full of disappointment and we're asking the same questions as the psalmist, we can take out God's notebook and we can start to read in the beginning. God created. And we can read, he delivered my people out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And we can read, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And when we read that, it brings us back to reality. And we're reminded who we are. And we're reminded who God is and what he has done. And that his unfailing love will never, ever fade away. And it's then that we'll see where hope is truly found. You see, this is the psalmist's strategy for life. When things spiral out of control, when question and doubts pile up, when we're full of disappointment, the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all of your works and consider all of your mighty deeds. See, the strategy of remembering and meditating on the deeds and the wonders of God, this is how to live the Christian life. And the way to remember all that God has done is to stay in his word. When we face darkness, when we face disappointments, the psalmist says, begin with those three words, I will remember. So I don't know where you're at today, how you might be relating to Asaph and the psalm that he wrote. Maybe today you're feeling disappointed and discouraged. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're questioning and you're uncertain. And if that's not you today, you've certainly been there before because that's just the human condition. So no matter where you're at, I think there's an important faith-building exercise that we can all participate in this week. I wanna encourage you to carve out some time either later today or maybe later in the week, but to spend some time remembering and recalling what God has done for you. Specifically, look back at what God has done in your life. And it's not always going to be happy, easy stuff. You know, like, well, a new car, a raise at work, lots of kittens and puppies. No, it might be a time when he helped you cope with the loss of a loved one. It might be how he brought just the right person into your life as you went through an especially difficult season. It might be that during a time when finances were really tight, he provided for you through it all. But then also think about how powerful 
and important it is to do the same exercise with our kids, our family, and our friends. Say, remember the time when we were hardly making ends meet. Remember the time when you got sick and we were really scared. Remember that time when we switched schools and you wondered if you were going to fit in. Remember that time when we went through a really difficult place. Remember that time when you thought your life was over. But then remember how God was at work upstream. Maybe today you find yourself in the dark of night facing stresses and struggles. Or maybe today you find yourself in the light of day enjoying your life to the fullest. No matter where you're at, take the time to remember what God has done for you. Remember his faithfulness and his grace. Remember, he's at work upstream and know that he will lead you forward in the very best way. Let's pray. And I wanna encourage you to just open yourself up to this prayer today. So God, I pray that you help us adjust our perspective as we look at the disappointments, as we look at the difficulties of life. Adjust our perspective. God, help us to remember you. Refresh us with all of who you are. Remind us of all that you've done. Remind us of what you can do. God, show us that you're bigger than anything that we face. You're bigger than all of life's disappointments. And then encourage us again. Remind us that you are already at work upstream. Maybe we can't see you in the dark right now, but you can see us. And so we're gonna trust that you are there. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. And we thank you that you give us unbelievable grace and love through Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.